Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. One of the, I mean, some of the stuff we love about Christmas, the traditions, the, the memories, the foods, the recipes, homemade cinnamon rolls, being together with family, like for me, like looking back on Christmas, so I, I just watched for the first time in my life, um, It's a Wonderful Life. Who's seen this movie? It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, at some point you need to see this movie. It's, it's excellent. But um, the Santa Claus, the original Santa Claus with Tim Allen, who's seen that one? That's where he falls off the roof, he puts on this suit, becomes Santa. Yeah. Oh man, that is such, that is such a good, such a good movie. So this time of year, there's so much good stuff, right? So many good memories, so much good traditions, so many good traditions, right? And, and like, as we grow up, we are taught, we are taught about the story of Christmas. We're taught about what Christmas is from all sorts of different things. Who's seen Charlie Brown Christmas? Come on, right? It's such a good soundtrack. It's so good, right? Charlie Brown Christmas. So for me, though, this is, this is going to very, this is going to date me, but, uh, Growing up, the two of the two of the cartoons that I loved to watch when I was little were these two, Rugrats and Hey Arnold. Okay, so who's <coughs> raise your hand if you've never heard of Rugrats or Hey Arnold? Okay, so a few of you. All right. So one of the things I don't think, hey friends, one of the things I don't think they do this much anymore. I mean, I could be wrong. I haven't watched cartoons in a long, long time. But they used to, like every cartoon series. They used to have like Christmas. Specials. Is there, was there a SpongeBob Christmas? Okay, all right. I'm, SpongeBob is way after my time. But like, so these, two, these, these, these shows in particular had very, very beautiful, meaningful Christmas, ep- Christmas episodes. And those made a huge impact on me, right? Anyway, so like as we grow up, as we grow up, we, we are piecing together in our own minds as kids. We're piecing together our own understanding of the Christmas story, right? From books you read, like the children's Bible, which you pick up at mass, which your parents tell you, the images, the cartoons, SpongeBob Christmas, all these things, they're like forming the story in our minds. We're putting together in our minds what Christmas is about, right? What Christmas is about. And as kids, it sounds something like this. Um, for a place to stay, the keeper said, We have no rooms. 
literally no room. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in here in Bethlehem that you can stay, stay in the stable, and then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angel said, a new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angel was singing. stuttering at Bethlehem. Oh my gosh. So good. So good. Okay, so. So that's cute and all. That's cute and all when you're young. But as we've been talking this year in a blaze, one of the things that Claire and I have wanted to do is we wanted to expand your vision of the faith, right? So like, if that is your vision of the Christmas story, more or less, yeah, it's wrong, and, and we've got to go deeper. We've got to go deeper. We've got, to, we've got to show you. I want to invite you to guys to see just how much richer all of this is, right? That's, what, that's the invitation that her and I have been giving you all the year, right? Starting with the very first session we were together, right? Our Catholic faith is amazing, but it's a little bit weird, too. Remember that whole talk, right? St. Dennis carrying his head preaching, right? Then the second time we were together, we talked about discipleship. We were like, discipleship isn't what you think it is. Discipleship begins with encountering Jesus and deciding, I want to be a student of this man and living close to him. It's, it's friendship with Jesus, right? It's not boring. It's not slavery. It's friendship with love himself. And then we talked about Jesus himself isn't who you think he is, that he's not, he's not a cruel judge, number one. He's not like a weakling who just wants us to be nice and get along nor is he disgusted by us. He's so complex. He's so complex. He's so beautiful. He's so good. Then we talked about the church. The church isn't what you think it is. The church is alive and beautiful and like the means of rescuing humanity. The church is like the lifeboat. The church is Christ's body on earth. That's what the church is. We also talked about the sacraments. The sacraments aren't what you think they are. They're not just empty rituals. Hey guys, I'm talking over here. 
The sacraments aren't empty rituals. Like these are the ways in which God himself has created for him to have access to us. Right? They're not the ladders that we climb to get to God. They're the ladders that God has put into creation for him to climb down and get to us. We also talked about the entire story of Christianity. Right? I went through that whole big long story and I focused especially on the rescue mission that Jesus came to rescue us. That's what I want to recap and bring us back to today, to like reflect on that a little bit deeper, this whole notion of the rescue, the whole notion of the rescue. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. In just a few days, when we come to Christmas Mass, we're going to hear this, this prophecy, this scripture from Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This Isaiah prophesied centuries before Christ. And we hear this proclaimed at Christmas, and this is meant to be good news. This is meant to be good news. Like, and the question is, why is this good news? Why is this extraordinary? Like, at Christmas, we're going to be singing joy to the world, Right? Every single church can be crying out, joy to the world. But like, why? <laughs> why is that good news? In a word, because the story of Christmas, the story of Christmas isn't cute, merely. What was that? <laughs> uh, guys, put your xylophones away, all right? Put your glockenspiels away. <laughs> The story of Christmas, bring it on back, bring it on back. I'll cue you when I need a glockenspiel, okay? <laughs> yeah, thank you. The story of Christmas, the story of Christmas isn't cute. The story of Christmas isn't cute. Like, I get in the mail so many Christmas cards, and you open up the Christmas card, and they're covered in glitter. So many of these people send Christmas cards covered in glitter, and I, these people are psychopaths, okay? <laughs> Glitter is the worst thing ever invented, right? It just, it gets on your hand and then it's with you forever. It is the worst. We have, shh, we have put glitter, if you will, on the story of Christmas. We've, we've covered it in peppermint and gingerbread and we've made it cute. It's not simply cute. We looked at this image when we were talking about the rescue mission. Someone remind me what this is an image of. Connor, go ahead. Throwing beaches in Normandy Carter, would you like to add to that? D-Day. Very good, Carter. And what was, what was D-Day? Let's go all the way to the back. Uh, the Allies uh, combined forces operations to push uh, into like, the German-occupied France uh, and take back uh, a bunch of like, land. Uh, Who had occupied France, did you say? Germans. And what were they doing there to the people? Yeah. Things in France were not good. Things in Europe at this time were not good. Who was the occupier? Go ahead, Connor. The Nazis. The Nazis, led by? Uh, Hitler. Adolf Hitler, yeah. Things were miserable in a way that we can't even imagine. So what you had here, right, was the Allies landing at Normandy to liberate the people who had been enslaved to this tyrant dictator for a long time. They had suffered so unbelievably Misery, death, sadness, hopelessness had just settled upon Europe because of what they were suffering. 
what I want to do with us this morning, guys, is I want to give us new images of Christmas, like to retell the story of Christmas in a way with new images, a, a new perspective, because it's so hard to not hear the Christmas story other than the way you heard it as like a little kid. But if you constantly hear it as a little kid, you're not going to understand the story. I want to give us new images to understand, to grasp why we're singing joy to the world and what is happening in this nativity. Like what is going on with these angels and these shepherds? I want to give us new images to grasp that. And I want to start, I want to start with this, this quote. This is the day the invasion has begun. Is this really the beginning of the long-awaited liberation? The liberation we've all talked so much about, which still seems too good, too much of a fairy tale to ever come true. The best part of the invasion is that I have the feeling that friends are on the way. The thought of friends and salvation means everything to us. Anybody know? I'll be so impressed if you do. Anybody know who said this? Connor. No. No, no. You want to take a guess? Anne Frank. Yeah. Gold star. Gold star for you. Let me tell you about this girl. So Anne Frank, this is a journal entry from her diary. Who's ever read the diary of Anne Frank? This is a journal entry from her diary. It was written on June 6, 1945. What's significant about June 6, 1945? Connor? Uh, wait, June 6, 1945. Oh, that was uh, when, uh, right before D-Day was The invasion is begun. Oh, wait, yeah. I don't know about that, right? <laughs> <laughs> she was... Yeah, what'd you call her? Fink. <laughs> and Fink. And Fink, yeah. No, and Frank. And Frank. So Anne, along with her family, they hid for a number of months. She journaled about her experience... They were eventually discovered, and she was taken, uh, her family was taken to Auschwitz where she died. Some say that she died of some disease along the way. It's unclear exactly when she died or what she died from, but regardless, like, she was rounded up in the Nazi war machine and she died. So she was marveling in this journal entry, realizing the, the allies are coming. She was marveling at the fact that someone had come for them, that this long-awaited, longed-hoped-for like, day had finally dawned that like imagined suddenly experiencing that news that like, like people are coming for us. Like a strong force is coming for us. That we can't save ourselves, but someone is coming for us. I mean, as she says, she's like, this almost seems like a fairy tale. This is too good to be true. And yet it was true. Like at Christmas, at Christmas we'll hear this reading from Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light, on them has light shone. The people who sat in darkness, think of Anne Frank and her family. Think of Europe at the time of World War II. Think of those folks sitting in this deep darkness, unimaginable fear and misery. And then suddenly to have light break into that place, 
for someone to say, I'm coming for you. Like, it's going to be okay. So here's the question. Here's the question that we have to wrestle with. That if we're going to understand why we're singing joy to the world, if we're going to understand why all of this is good news, the question we have to ask is what happened to us as a race that we were sitting in this land of deep darkness? What happened that we got, that we're in this place? I thought God Almighty loved us so much. How did it happen that the, the creatures that he loves the most were sitting in this place of deep, deep darkness, needing to be rescued, needing to have light dawn upon us? If you remember back when, we was talk, when I was talking about that whole big story of Christianity, the whole story talked about how at the very beginning of our story, we were taken captive. We were taken captive, right? This is not neutral territory, this world, right? So God created everything good in the beginning. He created the angels first before he created the material universe. And he gave the angels a vision of the plan that he was going to unfold in time. And one of those creatures, one of those angels, one of the highest, most beautiful, most powerful of those angels, Lucifer, whose name means light bearer, looks at this plan and says to God, this I will not serve. Non serviam, he says. I will not serve this plan. It is grotesque, it's unimaginable indignity for you, God, to lower yourself, to join your flesh, your, to join yourself to human flesh, to become, with human, to become one with humanity. Lucifer thought that God should have become an angel, so he looks at this and he says, I will not serve this plan. I will not serve these creatures. So he goes to war against, not God, because he knows, I mean, he's a creature, he can't win in this war against God. So he goes to war against the creature that God loves the most, which is us, which is us. He knows that he can wound God's heart by going after God's kids, which is what he does, which is what he does. And so he, in, into the garden he comes, and to propose a question to our first parents. In this story, what we see is Satan isn't trying to get our, he's not trying to get Adam and Eve to worship him. He's not like, yeah, just be a Satanist. No, he, he wants to get them to think, that God is not who they thought he was. He wants to conscript them into his own rebellion. He wants them to grasp at what God has said, this is the limits of your human freedom. He wants them to think God isn't good. He's not your father. He doesn't love you. He's actually holding out on you. He wants you to be like, like stay in your place. So if you want to be like God, grasp at this fruit, which they do, which they do. And in this action, what results is enslavement. We were taken captive. We need to wrestle with this. We need to get this into our mind. And we need new images. I'm going to show you this clip from this movie. That is not Billie Eilish. Shh, guys. This is a movie called Taken with Liam Neeson. It's a brutal, awesome movie. What you're about to see is this, this girl here. She's studying abroad in France. She's with, I think, her friend or her cousin. She's on her phone with her dad. And all of a sudden, she sees breaking into the apartment these men who are coming for them. Oh, God. Do you need anyone to play? No. In the airport? No. 
stay focused, Kimmy. You have to hold it together. How many people are there? Be precise. Three, four, I don't know. Where are you? I'm in, I'm in the bathroom. Go to the next bedroom. Go to the bed. This is the Lord in some ways right here. Just stay with me, guys, stay with me. Like he says, I don't know who you are. The Lord knows exactly who the enemy is. He says, I don't know what you want. The Lord knows exactly what the enemy wants. Jesus says in John 10, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy as opposed to the good shepherd who takes care of the sheep, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, I don't have any money. I don't have any ransom. What does Jesus say? I've come to be the, I have come to be the ransom. I came to ransom them. Oh, ransom captive Israel. Like he himself, the Lord himself, comes to be the ransom. And that bit at the end where he's like, I have a particular set of skills which make me very dangerous to men like you. 
If you don't hand her over, I will find you. And then what does he say? I will kill you. I will kill you. There's a scene in, I think it's Mark's gospel, where Jesus comes into the synagogue. I think it's in Capernaum. He comes to the synagogue in Capernaum, and there's a man there who's possessed, and the demon like manifests itself within this possessed man. He says, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. And then he says, the demon says, have you come here to destroy us? Do you know the answer to that question? The answer is yes. I have come to destroy you. We hear in, later in the New Testament, we hear this. It says, the reason the Son of Man appeared, and the Son of Man is Jesus, right? The reason the Son of Man appeared, in other words, the reason for the incarnation, the reason for Christmas, says the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He came to confront an enemy, to utterly destroy the works of the devil. But this is the beginning of our story. This is Genesis. This is Genesis 3. This is the fall. I know we watched the fall, that like clip from that movie where he's like falling down the mountain and it's funny, but like honestly, the fall is not funny. The fall is horrifying. Like, that's hard to watch, yes? Yeah. We were taken. Humanity was taken. We became the enemy's plaything. Like, I don't want to go into details, but like throughout the course of this movie, you see what happens to that girl. She becomes those people. She becomes their, their plaything in the worst way imaginable. We became the devil's plaything. We became subject to the power of sin, not just like sins that we do, like sin as this influential power, right? This, like this reality is that like we do things that we don't want to do. We do things that we hate doing. We do things that afterwards we feel miserable because we did them. And yet we do them anyway. It's because we're under the power, the influence of sin. It's like a toxic environment, a toxic air. And we are under the power of death. Death hangs over all of us. That's the consequence of sin, that death can't, comes for us. Like, I don't care how rich you are, how poor you are, you can't escape death. Death comes for all of us. You can't stop it. Nobody can stop it. Let's watch this. This is my little love, my little bug. Hi, my name is Nick Magnani. I'm 27 years old. Uh, I am a, I have stage four appendix cancer. And uh, this is my seven-month-old daughter, Austin. She was first diagnosed with cancer. I'm 24 years old. The chemo has got to a point where it's no longer doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, even though I was continuing treatment, my pain was getting worse. So that's an indication that the cancer is spreading faster than the chemo can kill it. So um, we decided to stop chemotherapy just because chemo makes me feel so cruddy. Uh, we want to be able to enjoy every single day to its fullest. And when you feel, you know, so that you can't get out of bed, it's kind of hard to do that. I'm not scared of death. I feel blessed because I'm living every person's dream. 
I get to spend every day with people that I love. And I get to do anything and everything that I want to do. I get to, you know, Lisa and I want to take our little baby Austin to the aquarium. We can go to the aquarium. The relationship is developed. The mountain that I've gone to be more God. I, I just wish everyone could get to experience what I feel. I just feel so blessed. She is my little bundle of joy. I love her so much. And this is another reason why we're doing this video is because I want her to know that her daddy loved the Lord. And that her daddy wants to help people so that she will have the same heart. Um, you know, I'm just talking about, about how I know that even if I'm not here, that he's her father and he's going to take care. I would love to be a part of raising her every single year for life, but any, every day the Lord gives me with her is just the biggest blessing. Even bigger blessing than I, I deserve. Words can't describe how it feels to have her as my daughter and to be blessed with her. Um, so I do worry, but that's just because I'm human. Um, I know that Austin is going to take care of her. I know that the Lord has big plans for her. She's gonna accomplish for me plus things in her life. Smiles? You got a proud daddy, Austin, already, so you're doing good. Like no matter what, you can't stop it. Like I'm, his whole family didn't want him to die. None of us want any of the loved ones that we have to die. But death comes for all of us. And that wasn't the original plan. Death was unleashed. So this is like, this is our situation. Under the authority of the enemy, we were taken, we were, we were made to run after idols, things that like are false gods, things that we like falsely believe. Like if I have more of this in my life, then I'll be happy. If I have this in my life, then I'll be fully satisfied. So we run after all these things, these idols, these counterfeits, trying to make ourselves happy. All the while the enemy's just like run after this, come after this. This will make you happy. This will make you satisfied. And we're driving ourselves insane. We're running from the Lord. We're eff effectively poisoning ourselves slowly. And all of this, through this, the enemy is saying, this is the secret to happiness. Be cut off from God. And we believe him. And we run after things thinking, if I just have maybe a little bit of God in my life, then I'll be fine. And then death comes. And then the enemy gathers those souls into his prison forever. Like, this is, this is where we were. Are you feeling the heaviness? I hope you're feeling the heaviness. This is a great quote from the catechism from a church father named Gregory of Nyssa. He said this, Sick, our nature demanded to be healed, fallen to be raised up, dead to rise again. We had lost the possession of the good. It was necessary for it to be given back to us. Closed in the darkness, it was necessary to bring us the light. Captives, we awaited a savior. Prisoners, help. Slaves, a liberator. Are these things minor or insignificant? Did they not move God to descend to human nature and visit it since humanity was in so miserable and unhappy a state? Like, there's this amazing story of St. Francis of Assisi. I might, have told you guys this, I might have told you this story before. This amazing story of St. Francis of Assisi, who he wanted to know, he wanted to understand, he wanted to experience in his heart something of the love 
that moved the heart of God to come down, to descend, to come down to human nature and to suffer as his own the consequences of our sin. In other words, St. Francis wanted to experience in his own heart, God, help me taste, help me experience the love that moved you to become one of us. You know what the Lord said to him? He said, Francis, you can't handle it. He said, you can't handle it. If I put just an ounce of that love in your heart, you can't handle it. You know what Francis said? He said, yes, I can. Give it to me. And so the Lord said to Francis, Francis, okay, I will send the smallest angel who sings the softest note in the heavenly choir to come down and to sing one note for you. Whatever Francis heard, whatever he experienced, the story goes he was then in a coma for the next four days. He was so blasted with the love of God. Car, are you okay? You compose yourself there? Are you still stuck on Anne Fink? Yeah. Look, so like, here's the point. We can't even begin to comprehend the love of God. What is it that moved God to descend? We can't even fathom it. I'm going to send you guys home uh, with two things. One is uh, a Christmas gift from uh, Claire and myself. Claire, why don't you go show, show them what we're giving them. Hey, guys. So we're sending you home with these beautiful, incredible Bibles. These incredible Bibles. That's the entire Bible in that little, little volume. What, is, uh, what does Jeannie say? And Aladdin's like, unbelievable cosmic power. Itty bitty. Whatever he says. Anyway. Carter, we'll talk about that afterwards. If you have to ask, we should probably talk more. Okay. So we're sending you home with these Bibles. And we're also going to be sending you home with a little scripture passage that we want you to reflect on. And it's this. Listen. This is the passage. It's from the Book of Wisdom. For while gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was now half gone, thy all-powerful word leapt from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the land that was doomed. The Book of Wisdom is in the Old Testament. And you hear you have this sort of prophecy talking about the incarnation. From the royal throne into the midst of a land that was doomed. In a word, he came for us. I want to read something as a reflection for us real quick. So if it helps for you to close your eyes to receive this better, I really would love to invite you to do that just because, I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I, want, I really want you to drink from this. I want you to really receive this. So let's listen. It is easily enough said that in the child that was conceived in Mary's womb, God became man. But the meaning of that short phrase has not been exhausted. The depth of it has hardly been pierced by 2,000 years of prayerful thought. It would, have been re it would have been a reasonable expression of God's majestic rule and a sign of his merciful nature that he might intervene in human history by sending some among his loyal angels to aid the human race and to deal with the rebel angels who were oppressing them. Such an act would have been beyond human hope but it would, have been, it would have had a certain fitness to it. It would have been in keeping with God's honor and nature. Yet in an act of extraordinary condescension, 
God chose to come and do battle for his wayward creatures himself, the Father sending his Son, the Word, to our aid. That decision alone would have conferred a tremendous importance on this lowly rebellious race. For a great king to put on his own armor and come to fight on behalf of a portion of his realm that had spurned and despised his rule would show a degree of concern hardly to be believed. Yet that isn't the half of what God actually did. Not only did he determine to fight humanity's ancient foe himself, but he took on the very nature of the race he had created, and he came among them as one of them in a kind of veiled disguise. He who was the fountain of all existence took on the limitations of created human nature, even to the point of sharing in the consequences of sin's corruption. He who was changeless and could not suffer became a man so that he would be able to suffer for his lost children. He who was the source of all abundance took on the poverty of fallen, human, fallen humans so that he could make them rich. He who was Lord of life and could not die took on a mortal nature so that he might experience death in place of those who had brought death upon themselves. It can help to mention some of the things God did not do. God did not come among humans merely under the appearance of a man, as told in many myths about the gods and goddesses of the ancient world, in a form to be taken up and later cast aside when the job was done. God did not unite himself to an already existing man as a kind of twin being, a schizophrenic half-god and half-human, with only an accidental and temporary connection between the two halves. God did not share a portion of his divinity with a man, resulting in a demigod with special powers like another Hercules. God did not enter a man's body and manipulate his muscles and senses in puppet fashion while accomplishing his designs with a divine mind and will alone. Instead, God became fully a man, while at the same time remaining fully God. The divine nature of the Logos was united to a human nature such that there was one person from the union, and yet no mixing of the two natures. By this act, God forever changed the fortunes of humanity, drawing us into the very heart of the Trinity, and to use a traditional phrase, divinizing the human race. God offered humanity an entirely new start by providing an entirely new Adam, as human as the first Adam but now united to the divine word and extending his participation in the human nature to all who followed him. In the words of many ancient teachers of the faith, God became man so that man might become God. It could be said that in attempting to save the human race, God faced a kind of dilemma. His problem was not one of simple power or force. He could easily crush Satan and destroy his external rule, but that alone would not save humanity. Men and women had been caught not only by the devil's bondage, but by their own sin. Death and the devil had power over them because of their willing rebellion. And there were claims of justice against that rebellion that could not be ignored. Herein lay the dilemma. How was God to give these humans the opportunity of willingly turning from darkness? And how was the guilt of their sin to be justly done away with? An invasion of force might compel obedience, 
but that would leave humanity in the posture of the demons, hating the one they were forced to obey and facing the stern sentence their behavior had merited. How was God to spark genuine love and faith among those who desired it without compelling their allegiance and destroying their gift of freedom? And how was their guilt to be removed? How were both mercy and justice to be rightly honored? Nothing less would serve the need. The solution God hit upon was to take upon himself the whole of humanity's destiny by joining himself to them such that what they needed to accomplish but could not, which is a way to regain their innocence and overthrow their oppressor, he would do on their behalf as one of them. He came for us. You can open your eyes for a second. He, like, that's the point. He came for us. Not in like mighty military force, not like one of our invading armies. It didn't look like D-Day. He came like this, such an unexpected way. Like, look at this scene. Depicts the nativity, Joseph and Mary and the infant lying in the manger. I know this doesn't look like D-Day. I know that doesn't look like a war. That doesn't look like a battle. It's so hard for us to imagine what this means that like that we've been rescued or that this is us being rescued by God, but that's what this is. What would it be like? What would it be like to be one of those allies or to be one of those people in Europe in one of those death camps awaiting your torture by gas chamber or firing squad or being buried alive? What would it be like to suddenly have allies coming to the camp to rescue you, to realize that the nightmare is over. Let's watch this scene.
How would you react? I'm not asking you to answer. I'm just asking you to think rhetorically. Do you think you would be composed? Do you think you would just like shake a hand? Like, thank you for being here, Allied soldier. You would weep like you couldn't imagine. Friends, we're just going to take a second and enter into just a moment of prayer. Like, with all of this in our minds, I want us to like sing this, maybe with fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh hearts. We sing this all throughout Advent. But like, what is it that we're actually singing when we sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? We're singing about this. I want us to just have a moment of prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, you came for us. Open our hearts just to be slightly more overwhelmed by this story that you've rescued us.
Say rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Emmanuel means, of course, right God with us. It's the unbelievable claim that God came, that he came for us. Look at it this way. Christianity is a story of how the rightful king has landed and landed in disguise if you will, to take back what is properly his, namely this world and us. So let me ask you, what is the disguise? Yeah. What is it? Our human nature. That's the disguise. Yeah, Connor. I don't remember who it was said by, but it, there, was, there was a passage I remember hearing it, and it was that God... Had, had came to us in disguise and had come to be swallowed whole by death so that he could explode it from the inside. And I don't know where I heard that from or where I read it from, but I remember you. Yeah. yeah. You That's where you heard it from. Yep. Yeah. So one of the things about kings, right, is that uh, kings command what, typically? They're in control of, what is it, Drew? Armies. Where does Napoleon keep his armies? In his sleeves. Okay, moving on. So here's the question. If this is the king who's come, if kings have armies, where is his army? Where is his army? They come appearing to the shepherds. Stay with me for just a few more, mom for a few more moments. The king's army comes appearing to the shepherds. And if you're like me, you pictured those angels something like this growing up. Does that look like an army? No. That does not look threatening. That does not look threatening. Here's something a bit closer to the reality. It's so good. I love this. So the word it says in Greek, it says a multitude of the heavenly host. A multitude of the heavenly host appears in the heavens. The word host in Greek is this word, stratios, 
which is where we get the word strategy or strategic. It means an army or a band of soldiers. I want to share with you an image of what it was like for this heavenly army, this heavenly army of angels to suddenly appear in the heavens. Remember Anne Frank, that quote she says, I have the feeling that friends are on the way. Here's an image, here's an image of what happened in that field with those shepherds and those sheep when the angels appeared in the, heaven, in the heavenly host. Watch this. sit with a bunch of grown men that happened yeah. and we were all like weeping and like yeah! I mean there were men there was dudes standing up scream I mean it was crazy crazy okay now listen listen that that is so much closer to the reality that is so much closer to the reality of what happened in that field that 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 scream when they're charging the battlefield that scream is think of it this way that is what the Gloria actually was I know, we hear the Gloria as this church song. Before the Gloria was a hymn, it was a battle cry. 
Because those angels, they were soldiers. The glory is a battle cry. That's so much closer to the reality. Like, we you'll hear on Christmas, and in that region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom his, his favor rests. From now on, I just I beg of you to try and hold in your mind this as the reality of the Gloria. This is what appeared in the heavens when Christ was born. So let's return to this. Let's return to this. We're going to end with this. What is the story of Christmas? We'll put it this way. It's the story of God, the rightful king, landing in disguise to rescue us, to reclaim this world for his father. Back to this quote. We're going to end with this quote. We can think of this as like the Christmas Day proclamation. This is the day. The invasion has begun. Is this really the beginning of the long-awaited liberation? The liberation we've all, take, we've all talked so much about, which still seems too good, too much of a fairy tale to ever come true. The best part of the invasion is that I have the feeling that friends are on the way. The thought of friends and salvation means everything to us. So friends, what we're going to do here is we're going to end with prayer. And in this prayer, I'm going to bless your new Bibles. And on the way out, you're also going to receive a little slip of paper that has that quote from the Book of Wisdom. What I'm going to ask you to do for the next few days, the remainder of Advent, is I'd like you to pray with this scripture passage from the Book of Wisdom. You can find it in your Bibles. It's in the Old Testament. I want you to pray with that. I want you just to meditating on it, meditate on it, getting ready for Christmas. Whatever Christmas Mass you're going to, maybe bring your Bible and listen to the Scriptures. Look at them in your Bible. But let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God Almighty, we give you thanks. It just seems so cheap of a word, so small of a word for what you actually did for us. That you left the throne room of heaven plunging yourself into a land that was doomed to die, taking upon yourself our limitations, our human flesh and frailty. You became one of us to suffer the consequences of our own sin. You became a helpless baby to be given away, to be offered in sacrifice. So Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit seal in our hearts any seeds of the truth that were planted today that we might, we might remember and experience with greater awe the mystery of Christmas. It's an incredible story. Lord, I ask you to send down your blessing now upon these Bibles, that as these young friends pray with them and use them, they would be drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit into the mystery of your word, that they would hear you speaking through these Bibles, and that their hearts would be set on fire like those disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And dear friends, I bless you and your new Bibles, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.